Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Blues. Thanks for tuning in. As expected, today's podcast features a fair amount of discussion about the decision by Everton to advise the board of directors not to attend last Saturday's match against Southampton and the security concerns that prompted that decision. As you will hear, while we were recording, more information surfaced via an article in The Athletic that perhaps clarifies the alleged incident involving CEO Denise Barrett-Baxendale at an earlier unspecified fixture at Goodison Park and her decision uh, not to escalate that incident further to police. We obviously hope you'll listen all the way through, but if you don't make it that far, we do offer our reaction to that additional context around a situation that has very much been at the centre of the furore around the recent protests and match day safety. For those who are interested, we'll also append to the end of the pod the segment where I, Lyndon, went on TalkSport the other day to offer a fan's perspective on what has been going wrong at Everton lately. Thanks again for tuning in. Here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Toffeeweb.com is the longest-running Everton website with an archive of more than 35,000 articles. This is the Toffeeweb Podcast. Hello, Evertonians. Welcome back to the Toffee Web Podcast. Coming to you from, well, a pit of despair, frankly, after yet another defeat to the latest team sitting on the bottom of the Premier League. The way things are going, that will be Everton themselves soon, which is quite fitting as the club seems to be fighting itself and there's only one loser in that scenario. Uh, Adam, L, Paul are here with me. Paul, I think it was after we stopped recording last Thursday, but you said you'd had a bad feeling about Saturday. Uh, Turns out you were right. Uh, Everton lost again after taking the lead and uh, the relationship between the board and the growing section of the fan base looks to be irreparably broken. In fact, the whole club just seems broken at this point. Yeah, I think it was actually on it, on it. So uh, yeah, we. Um, I just didn't feel. I'd have had to feel about it. I think it. And you don't like to say I told you so, and it's a bad. 
outcome. But um, yeah, it was just kind of literally pretty much as I thought the game would be on Saturday, unfortunately. Guess it could have been different, couldn't it? With the uh, you know, and Calvert Lewin hit the crossbar, and that that if that just sneaks in, and they got they got the second actually both goals we gave away, and, that, and that's the, the frustrating thing. We're just like gifting goals away, really, aren't we? You know, what I mean, I mean, it, uh, James Ward-Prowse didn't really have to do a lot of it to get it over the wall. There, there was that was poor between Pickford and Mikalenko, and he didn't figure that out. I couldn't believe the goal just after half time, but it's. Well, I probably could believe it because it's the sort of stuff which has been happening, and it's just yeah, it's it's very hard to see a way forward. From I think most people would agree at the moment, it's very hard to see a way forward for Everton under Frank Lampard now. And I don't like saying that because I've always been a big supporter, but I just can't see how we're going to win the game at the moment. And I think they need to change something. But the board are silent, and the board are you know it's fighting with the fans, as you said. Um, and we're not getting any updates, so. Everyone else is signing players. Doesn't sign, you know. There's just no sound. There's just any nothing concrete is there whatsoever. What was signing a player at the moment? Doesn't feel like anything's really coming through the door. It's just a real mess. And I've never. I've we've we've seen Everton in a lot of messes, haven't we, over the years and boardroom turmoil loads of times, really. But has it ever been this bad? I don't think it's ever been this bad. Um, and it's only going one way quickly at the moment. Yeah, that's. I mean. I guess that that would be an interesting comparison. It, has it been as bad? There've been dark times before, and obviously, um, many a flirtation with relegation. But I guess this all a bit like what we touched on uh, last week. Um, it comes on the back of so much promise, so much investment, so much potential to have something better. Um, there are always excuses about. You know, a lack of money. I think. Um, I think it was it was you uh, mentioning uh, your P cell about uh, the days of scrambling together coins for the likes of Sean Davis and coming up short and worrying in that sense. And now we're remarkably still in that same situation where we can't get a deal over line, and yet it's come after this bizarre splurge of of nothing, and and it's ended in such. An acrimonious way, uh, it's going on. I, I think we, we all just said before the podcast, we're kind of checking our phones just in case some other horrible tragedy befalls us in the next sort of twenty to thirty minutes of recording. Um, and and so normally the distraction for that would be what's happening on the pitch, but what happened on Saturday was just so abject and. Yeah, predictable. Yeah, you did predict it, Paul. I think I um, half mentioned the um, the time we beat Southampton seven one at home, and I, I weirdly had a a premonition. <laughs> Not was it a premonition? It was a false one before the day where we where we won six one, and I woke up disappointed. But obviously, I would quite happily have traded a six one win for what we saw on Saturday, which was yeah, just so so galling, so disappointing. Yeah, as Paul, you know, as as you both alluded to, it's it's just so predictable now. But I think in my in my twenty six years of supporting Everton, this is the worst it's been. And I think it's it's almost become more than what's going on the pitch now. After the the statement which was released before the game, um, and then what followed, it is it's just a it's just a broken football club. It is it is broken, and what's really scary is is that I feel like the fan base as a whole, we've got no answers left. There's there's no there's no way to fix this. And obviously if it doesn't get fixed, Everton will be playing championship football next season. 
Um, and it, it, it's the fact that those defeats that we've had have come against clubs that, you know, you, you would want us to be beaten. And it's even more important that we're down there. And I did a quick adding up of points and Bournemouth, Leicester, Wolves, Southampton. If we draw those games instead of losing them, we're four points above the drop zone and we're, we're comfortable in 14th. And then all of a sudden, the whole season has a different complexion and a different feel. And you're in the January transfer window and you can sort of move forward and almost even look up the table and try and get into those mid-table spots, which we were all hoping for in May. But obviously that's gone against us. It's It's been a disastrous month on the pitch. Obviously it has been off the pitch as well, but on the pitch, you know, they say if you don't win games, don't lose them. And we've lost them, you know, spectacularly. Um, you know, we've, we've gifted teams. We haven't, it's not like we've come up against a team that's played us off the park. We've played for average teams and we've lost everyone. And when it gets to May, if you're relegated, it's because you deserve to be. And and that's where it'll be. It'll be, for me, it'll be those first five games of the season where we, we willingly went into them with false false uh, with wingers as false nines. And then this month as well, where we've had the Christmas period and we've gone into January. We've had six weeks to, to prepare. And it's, it's similar to Wolves. I said in one of the podcasts that the Wolves kick off straight after the World Cup. It was slow. It was lazy. It didn't get mm-hmm. the crowd up. And again, we're 1-0 up uh, at home. There's all this negative narrative surrounding the club like a whirlpool. How those players don't come out in the second half like a steam train to get that second goal, I will never know. And within a minute of the second half, it's one all. And that you know, as a collective, everybody knew that win's not going to come now and it's going to get worse. And that's what proved. Um, so it is, it's just a completely broken football club and I'm just at a loss to, to where they go from here now. What's really frustrating as well is all of those performances against Southampton, against you know relegation rivals, against Bournemouth, against Wolves, have those sides really had to dig in? Have they come away from it with the sort of, you know, like, you know, sweat, blood, tears? They, they've not really. Like Southampton looked like they'd just been given a gift. You know, that's a side who lost all the games, all the league games, sorry, under their new manager, who were bereft of confidence, who were so bad that they're completely marooned, but they beat us and are still bottom of the league. And they they, they look like they didn't really have to get out of second gear. We we like like you say, we came out second half and said, Well, yeah, we had we had a few warning signs towards the end of the half. See see if you can do any better. And they they barely had to break a sweat to to get level, and then we never looked like even Okay, yeah, those half chances, uh, the Godfrey chance and and Dom's chance off the bar. But come on, we we, we only look like scoring from a set piece or some kind of mm-hmm. misfortune, as opposed to actually creating something. And don't get me started on substitutions again, where every time we make a change now, we 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 look worse. We look we lose even more cohesion. It's 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 very worrying. And then, like you say, the stuff off the pitch just completely mirrors the chaos and confusion on it. Yeah, but what you say about the, um, you know, Southampton not really having to break a sweat, the same was true for Brighton. I mean, it felt like Brighton never really got out of second gear and they didn't really have to. I mean, it was so bad um, that day. And Wolves was the same. Like you say, they felt like they'd been given a gift. And, you know, they really, really were. And, you know, you go through, who was it? Who's, one of the media pundits was going through the, 
the Everton team and, and, and sort of calling out the players that we have, like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who not long ago was a £60 million striker that was destined to go to Arsenal. You've got Amadou Anana, who's in great form. You know, you've got Cody and Tarkovsky. You have a solid defensive um, pairing. You have, you know, Ben Godfrey, who's up and coming. You've got Damari Gray, who on his day can 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 produce goals. You know, it's it's not a team that should be nineteenth, soon to be twentieth in 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 the Premier League, and yet it is. And unfortunately, that does come back to the manager because it's just defeat after defeat after defeat right now. Um, and you know, the it seemed that by the end of it, and I know that we've there's been plenty of calls for us to be more direct. Um, you know, and to try and use the height that we have on the team. But that really seemed to be, by the end of Saturday's game, the only tactic, just throw Ellis Sims on there and just lump it forward. Um, and, yeah, what, what, what were the, the chances that we could that we could look at at the end was, as I say, that one chance for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, which, you know, <laughs> poor guy, if it goes in, it's it's a completely different game. But, again, it's symptomatic of our luck. But if you your main striker only has one chance a game, then you you have issues, you know. And um, the the biggest thing for me, the the takeaway from that game, apart from the just the schoolboy nature of that second goal and the free kick and the way that we set up for it, the way we conceded it, um, even you could look at the way that we allowed them to take it ten yards further back than the incident actually happened. You know, giving um, Ward Prowse the perfect uh, perfect spot. It's just these kind of small things, these awareness of what's going on in the match. Um, the things like preparedness, the, the, some of the, the observation that Decore was sitting on the ball in, in the warm-up the other week um, when he came on against, uh, who was it, when he had to come on and he wasn't ready to come on. Yeah, Man it's these small things, yeah, against Man United. It's these small things about that ultimately come down to the coaching staff and the managers, the attention to detail, um, having all everything boxed off and being prepared in, in every single way. And it just doesn't, doesn't feel like that, you know, it doesn't feel like that's the, the case at all. And so, you know, when we're talking about signing strikers, you know, Colombian strikers or whoever it's going to be, Danny Ings, whoever, I mean, you can put them in there, but unless the ball's going to get to them, they're not going to make any difference. Um, which is why, we're all, as you say, checking Twitter and, and we're on tenterhooks waiting to see if anything's going to happen in the transfer market. But at this rate, it's going to be the way it always is. And I think I made the point last week, we're going to wait till the end of the window, by which point another match will have gone. Um, you know, and it's a away game. We have a terrible record away from home. Of course, it's against David Moyes. I mean, you know, the chances are we're not going to get anything out of uh, that game in London. And we get to the end of the window and we're scratching around for loan deals. Um, you know, let's say they get someone in, but it's going to have to be a, a, an incredible turnaround in form. Um, and to, to pick up what, what, eight wins we're probably going to need between now and the end of the season. Um, and we've won three so far. It's, it's, it's bleak. It really is bleak. It's quite a tough sell to get players in at the moment. I would have thought as well. I mean, look at the club. I mean, look, yeah. yeah, I mean, like you got like what's going on with you know players getting chased down the road by fans. But like aside from all that, what's what's going on with like the the, the, the what the the situation the board have created uh, by you know um, against the fact against the supporters. What's happening on the field? <laughs> you'd, you'd you'd be look. You're a player and you hear Everton are interested. You'd be like, oh, I. Let's just see who else is interested first before we commit to that. You know, realistically, I mean, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be jumping at the chance, would you? Jesus, but 
Lampard's very culpable for this. I mean, um, one thing for me, I, it seems quite obvious to me, he's really got his favourites. And it seems to me like no matter what happens, the same 11 are pretty much playing every game. You know what I mean? He won't change that midfield. He won't change that defence. No he won't change that left-back. He won't... Yeah, nothing changes in that team. It's the mm-hmm. same 11, kind of, no matter what. And then you see... and and. Um, uh, when Paul McParlin came on and he was saying like he made a grave error in that Bournemouth game and, and by, by by completely throwing it away, making eleven changes, and that sent out the message to the, the eleven that were playing there, like you're not really wanted here. You don't really want here. I mean, like, yeah, if, if you make like five or six or four or five changes, then it's that's it. okay. Yeah, you're taking it seriously, and that gives them players coming in an opportunity to take their claim. If you're leaving half the players at home, most of the players at home said, "Oh, we need you for Saturday. You lot, uh, you lot are going to play instead." What message? Did, what on earth message did that send out to the players who are playing? So it's, it's little wonder that <laughs> they might feel a bit sort of unloved, unwanted, disinterested, and I don't know. Maybe there's a consequence. There's a reason as to why you say, "Oh, they're not training well" or whatnot. Okay, yeah, they, you, you want them to be professional, but it goes with anything, doesn't it? If you're not feeling motivated, it's very hard to do your job properly in, in, in any capacity or the force if you're not feeling wanted and stuff. And uh, there's probably a little bit more to it than just that. But um, it just feels. It probably says to me, if you could be any of the any of the other players outside of that eleven, you can work your nuts off in training, but you're not going to get in. You're not going to get in the team, no matter what, no matter how badly this team does, no matter how much it fails, no matter how much, how many times it's gone, a guy you're going to give the ball away and lose possession in stupid areas and not track his man. Yeah, you know, you, if anything, say, well, yeah, Davis, you deserve a bit of a crack. At least you always give us a, give it, give us give it your best, and you you can stay with runners. <laughs> I saying Tom Davis is the answer, but you know what I'm getting at. It's uh, it's 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 crazy. So. It, it, this situation is all created itself, and you're right. There's enough good players there throughout that whole. Look, normally you look at all eleven, you think, oh, that, yeah, that that should be that, that should be at least sort of like 13, 14 for something like that in the league. I, I mean, at a minimum, mm-hmm. really, massively underperforming. They've got to change the manager. Um, I've tried my best to back Lampard as long as I possibly can, and obviously the Southampton game was the sure that broke the camel's back. But you can't keep losing every game. It's it, it, it's astounding that. This hasn't really been done, to be fair. Negligence again, really, by the, by those in um, those in charge, and the, it's just the silence is just incredible, and that no decision seems to be made, nothing seems to be happening. Yeah, you know, you'd like to think they were. Are they really? Are they really waiting to see if if West Ham sacked David Moyes? Is that literally their only? <laughs> is that their only sort of uh, way out of this? Is that, that that as far as they see it? You know what I mean? No, no players you coming have to in. Wonder, don't you? Yeah, I find it incredible. Absolutely incredible. I mean, it it makes the game at the weekend a bit weird, doesn't it? Really, because I don't know yeah. who, who what, what should the result be. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> they'll probably feel the same way. I imagine how confused it'll be if we draw. <laughs> well, we're like, well, should, should, should we stick or twist? Should we should we make an approach to David Moyes? Uh, I don't know. I just, it's... Sorry, Adam, I just find it quite amusing. Sorry that they like it could be a case that like, we go down there and win. So be like, nice one, Lampard. David Moyes gets sacked. It's like, okay, Moyes, you're sacked. Lampard, you're sacked. Moyes, you're hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it might literally be as <laughs> ridiculous as that, you know. So. Sorry, carry on. I just had to jump in with that before I forgot. <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely right. It's, I mean, it's, it's where we're at, isn't it? We're hypothesising because, because we don't know. <laughs> we're completely in the dark, and and as you say, we're we're in the dark when we're watching the game because um, we've, we've said it a few times since the restart after the World Cup. But what, what on earth happened during that break? We we haven't had players go all over the world and play football elsewhere. A lot of them spent time together, working together. Um, yes, some of them have 
underperformed for not just for Lampard but for previous managers as well. Um, but what what was done in that time? Because I've not seen any progress whatsoever. Well, it's 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 regressing, isn't it? Every week is getting worse. We're getting worse to watch. We're getting predictably bad. You kind of knew what was going to happen as soon as Southampton scored. And yeah, as we previously said, these are sides who we should we should be beating. Who on paper, which yeah, okay, it's not how football's played. We said this many times last year, but. It, it certainly factors in. And then that's where you do start to question those key moments where a manager really does come to the fore, which is the preparation. Not really seeing that because, as you say, usually within five minutes, you know kind of what's going to happen. It certainly not happened at half time because I don't know what was discussed at half time, but clearly it didn't work. I mean, it's also not happening with the kind of in-game management. I don't think Nathan Jones came in with, you know, whether he lasted till three in the morning watching us or not, he probably probably sort of watched five minutes and thought, yeah, no, I've got I've got, I've got an idea. Um, <laughs> and that was probably enough. I don't think it was a great tactical masterclass going on. We would we were just we were just beaten. <laughs> just beaten, pure and simple. And it was the same against Wolves, the same against Brighton. I think we, we could have we, we could have lost this game by more than one goal. But if if we were playing a better side, they had chances on the break where a better side would have punished us and, and done more. And like I say, they didn't have to break a sweat. And that's that's really, really worrying. Um, and it it takes you back as well to obviously the scenes before the game where despite all that turmoil, you've got people turning up two hours before a game in January, treating it like a, a must-win, treating it like a cup final. <laughs> and putting how you can't be stirred by that, how... What even if the managers offered you no real plan, there were times last year where certain players and okay, the main catalyst um, of that Richardson's not not with us anymore. Um, but then there must be something from that where you kind of go into muscle memory and go, yeah, no, no, we need to win here. We need to dig in. We need some fight. We need some spirit. Bar a pretty dominant performance by Anana or. Who was there? Who was standing up? Who was who was ready to be counted? The manager wasn't, and that was worrying. He was, it, it just seems, like I say, passive. Um, yeah. and, and, and the players were passive as well. So what, what, what can we expect? We need some kind of movement to dig us out of this. If we're not bringing players in, then it kind of has to be the manager really, doesn't it? Yeah, there's just something really melancholy as well about the fact that David Moyes left us for sort of his lottery win going to Man United. Everton had their jackpot with Mashiri coming in. And then it's it's just the fact that we've hit rock bottom, just as his West Ham story sort of hitting rock bottom. And it's like, you know, the two the two needing each other again. There's just something really grey about that. But going back to the, the Southampton game, it, it just goes back to the problems of the six years. The fact that Dwight McNeil didn't get on the pitch. Neil Morpay didn't get on the pitch. They are technically Richarlison's replacements. And as you said, Adam, we haven't got that talisman now who who would, who would you know, it wasn't just the fact that he could score goals. He worked his backside off as well. He set the tone. He played through the pain. He was, you know, he really stirred the team and the fans. And the fact that the players that we signed to replace him didn't get on. And then you look at even the lone sign of Ruben Vinagra. Wasn't on the bench. Um... And you just look again, where is the joined up thinking from the club is, you know, if Lampard doesn't fancy those players, that's fine. But 
either he did in the summer and then it's a real mess that he spent 35 million on them or he didn't want them and somebody else did and if so where's the accountability how can we how can we fix that and you know it, it's not a case of we've signed those players for 35 million and we can fix it in the summer that's if they if they are deemed surplus that's more deadwood and so it, it's just that that vicious circle mm-hmm. that it's it's just if you know I'm sure if you listen to podcasts from the last six years it's the same chat every time it's the same issues that you know the the recruitment will hinder the manager then the manager will pick teams based on the recruitment and it just all falls apart and um it is it's just that that performance it's it, it's almost that the players as well Adam as you said you know how can that not stir you but if you think, as an Evertonian, how genuinely depressed we are about the club, if you've got no affiliation to Everton, and you're having to do that every Saturday, in a, in a, in a, a ground that's either you know the atmosphere is either flat with that depression, or the other side where the fans are having to come out three hours before kickoff to get a win at home against the bottom club, it must be horrible and. You must see other clubs that are doing it right, Brighton and Brentford. And if you're a Ben Godfrey or, you know, a Nathan Patterson or, or, or a player like that, why on earth would you want to spend another season at Everton? So it's almost like we're staring them, but we 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 feel like we haven't got much left to give. So I can't imagine what the players are feeling. And that that's not questioning their professionalism or anything like that. It's just, I'm sure, you know, if you've ever experienced being a job that you don't like, it's soul-destroying. It's really mm. soul-destroying. And, and you know, so I, I sort of think that it has got to that point where we've circled the drain for that long. You know, I don't, I don't like to say it, but it does feel like this is it because I feel like all the energy levels have gone, all the morale levels have gone, all the positivity levels have gone. I feel like it's just... We've run out. We've we've run out of time. Um, there was time to fix things. There was time to make them better. And you know, I could be sat here in four months and we finished twelfth. You know, we we've picked up points and the club have come together again. But I was at the coach welcome on Saturday, and yeah, it was loud and it was proud, but it wasn't the same as last season. It wasn't mm-hmm. the same because it feels like we did our bit. We achieved our goal. We stayed in the Premier League. That was us saying, right, we've done our bit over to you, Everton. And they've relied on us again. And we can't we can't keep doing it. You know, we've we've run out of I don't even know what it is. We haven't it's not I wouldn't say it's apathy. It's just how can we keep doing that? You can't welcome the team to play Southampton at home. It it doesn't it and it, and it's January as well. It's not mm-hmm. it's a desperate we know that it's a, se- a desperate situation because of what's gone on in the past, but it's, there's still 19 games to go. It, it it doesn't feel like that emergency yet, because there is, you know, if we do win a game, we can go up to 13th. But yeah, it just feels like everything's run out, and I don't know where we, you know, we we replenish it. I, I just think that it's, it's done now. Yeah. There's only so many times it can work, you know. It's it's like a, you know a drug addict needing to to up its uh, up the dosage to get the same high. You know, it, the, the players can only respond to it so many times, um, and that you know to to further the analogy, that high needs to come from the the dressing room now, from the management, um, and it needs to come from from organization and proper coaching. 
I mean, I think Adam, you were saying that um, you know there wasn't there wasn't much that uh, that Nathan Jones really needed to do. I'm I think he did his homework. In if you look at their their equalizer, you know, the first thing they did when they came out from from halftime was to put that move together, and it's the kind of move that Frank Lampard should be replicating time and again with Dominic Calvert Lewin and Damari Gray or someone running beyond the striker to pick up a second ball, to pick up a flick on, you know, rounding a defender and and sticking it in the net. And it was it was so laughably simple, you know. It would have been laughable if it wasn't. You know, we weren't on the end of it. Um, but when when was the last time that we put something like that together? And it's it's very simple. You know, football can be a very simple game sometimes. Um, and I'm sure he looked at the fact that Adrissa Gay far too often is out of position. He's too far forward. And as you said, uh, someone said, I think it was you else that he's not tracking back. Um, and he's not the only one, um, but since since he's come back, he has looked like a player who's just on a swan song. Um, I'm I'm really really disappointed with him because I was really excited to have him back. That he would be an experienced head, someone who knows the club, who knows what his role at the club would be. And if he's being instructed to be that far forward, then so be it. But I just think. Um, as I we've said many many times on this podcast, just have him sit and let you know the, the younger players, the more dynamic players, um, be the ones to, to to take the ball forward and try and make things happen further forward. Because you know he's not an attacking player, even even if the if Senegal's manager thought he was at the <laughs> World Cup. Um, but going going back to the um, the sort of the elephant in the room, which is the the uh, you know the board's decision to. Uh, to treat the messaging the way they did before the match, um, and obviously the fallout from that is is still rumbling, um, and I think that is now con- contributing to this sense that everything is broken across the board. Um, you know this this whole situation around the headlock, it, this headlock incident. It seems to be, um, you know, there seems to be more of it sort of dribbling out from the press. Um, you know, Joe Thomas of the Echo is kind of given a, a, a sort of a chronology of how this information came out. Um, but, you know, I mean, let, let's assume that, that that this incident is true. You know, can I believe that threatening emails were sent to Bill Kenwright um, and other people at the club? Yeah. I mean, anyone who's spent any time on Twitter knows um, the level of vitriol that's possible from someone behind a, you know, from behind a keyboard. Um, and unfortunately it goes with the territory of being you know, a public figure or whatever level that might be, you know, can I believe that Denise Barrett-Baxendale's car was surrounded, uh, you know, and spat at and misogynic comments were directed her way? Well, yeah, anyone who's lived in society, you know, knows what certain people who don't know where the boundaries are, what they're capable of uh, when their blood's up. And women, unfortunately, often an easy target. Um, you know, these things are usually caught on video these days, but let's assume it happened. And again, you know, um, it's not that hard to believe, given that we've you know, had Scallies chasing Anthony Gordon down the road. Um, chasing his car down and, and, and trying to stop him from driving away. Um, do I believe the CEO was, was CEO was placed in a headlock, either in the director's box under the glare of all those CCTV cameras um, inside Goodison Park? Not to mention, you know, the the broadcast cameras on the gantry on the Bullens Road, um, or in the Dixie Dean Suite inside um, the main stand. Perhaps I mean it's hard to believe in that. If you've sat in the director's box. Or you know, in the suites around there, you know that there are stewards protecting the boardroom, they're monitoring who's coming and going, making sure that whoever's in the vicinity of the director's box and the boardroom is supposed to be there. I mean, for something like this to have happened there, 
it would have to it would have been seen by a lot of people surely and there's no way it doesn't get out i mean it's everton this stuff always gets out um but again i mean let's assume it's true you either deal with it through the authorities or you let the matter drop which maybe denise preferred to do but if you're going to do that then to then if you're going to then use the internet in the media you release a statement right away to the effect that after the brighton of albion match um and a regrettable incident occurred um, that threatened the, the safety of personnel at the club, and as a result, we'll be revising our security protocols at Goodison Park. No, but no, as, as we've all been saying, they waited 11 days and released a statement alluding to various threats to safety to the board, coincidentally, you know, hours before a, a sit-in protest against the hierarchy. Um, you know, and I've heard a few blues in the past few days say that, that they've weaponized these incidents, and I think that's what it looks like. It was timed to undermine the protests and cast fans critical of the club as being the villains, you know, as dangerous. Um, and that was unfortunately the narrative in the media that then caught on, you know, and it's madness because with everything failing on the pitch and still no new signings, what will be 18 days into the transfer window by the time this podcast goes out, the fans are the most potent weapon you have in saving this season at the moment. So, you know, it's just, I don't know, the way they've done it is, is, is madness. And I'm saying they a lot here, but I think, um, Ian Wright's comments on his podcast today, which I'm sure most Blues have heard by now, um, were quite revealing. And it gets to that this, this whole skepticism with which this whole headlock story was greeted by a lot of fans um, who have seen this playbook before. It goes all the way back to some of the more contentious AGMs around the time of, time of the, you know, the Fortress Sports Fund investment thing with um, Keep Everton in our city and the Kirby debacle, the Blue, the Blue Union a decade ago. I mean, that... Those leaked emails from the from Ian Ross that sh- they show just how far um, the Kenwright regime would circle the wagons, how the, what they would do to protect the narrative, protect the chairman's image, um, and even nowadays, as soon as there's a whiff of protest or dissent, there's an open letter from Mashiri Times, you know, to head it all off. Um, and then he's on Talksport with Jim White with the charm offensive, and you know, innocently pleading that he's done all he can to do as an owner. And the problem is that you know that the regime is demonstrably failing. We're going down unless something changes very quickly. And you can't point at a small minority of fans anymore and paint them out to be a lunatic fringe because there were thousands of blues who stayed behind after the final whistle in the freezing cold on Saturday because they're petrified about where the club is heading. So, you know, if the reaction on social media is any, any, in, any, any indication, and I think Ian Wright is um, right, there's no going back now. The relationship between the hierarchy and the fans is done. You know, it's over. And it's at a time when, as a club, we need to be as united as ever. It's very sad. Um, you know, those wonderful scenes from May, they feel like an awfully long time ago. Um, but, Al, you, you took the uh, the rather dramatic step of saying on, on Twitter that you're not going anymore. Do you still feel that way? Are you, or are you kind of feeling like they still need you? Yeah, no, because it, it's, it's sort of, there's part of me which feels like it's a matter of principle. But there's also part of me that just feels very uncomfortable now being at Goodison Park. Um, yeah. Because I feel that, as you said, Lyndon, if that incident occurred, and, you know, I would not call anybody a liar, and as you said, that, you know, you see the, the vitriol online, you see the people surrounding Carso. If that's true, I want the club to let every fan know what's happened. And mm-hmm. I know that 40,000 Blues will condemn it and support the club taking the strongest possible action. You cannot 100%. put a CEO in a headlock. But as well, I want to feel safe at the ground. Now, 
if that's the case, that that Southampton game was a high-risk game, I was on Goodison Road with hundreds of other fans when the statement came out, ready to welcome the coach. Now, how do they know that that wasn't going to incite trouble? Evertonians are highly emotional at the moment because the club is being run into the ground. And I feel like they've put... Not only have they dragged our name through the mud with that by the... the the, the statement was it was very broad, I felt, on the fan, the fact that it was a profoundly sad day for Everton and Evertonians. It was like, that's the fans, that's on them. Now, yeah. I feel like not only have they dragged our name through the mud, I feel like they genuinely put fan safety at risk because you just don't know how fans could have taken that statement. You know, that it, it's been the, the same regime for six years. It's been the same chairman for nearly 30 years. People are very passionate on this subject. And I think it was completely irresponsible to release that statement when there were 40,000 fans gathered. I, I just think it was wholly irresponsible. And until the club come out and rectify that, I will not be going back to Goodison Park because I do not want to be walking down Goodison Road and either welcoming the uh, the team on a coach or sitting at a stand-in and feeling that I've been like labelled as a hooligan. And, and, you know, people watching on TV thinking that I'm a hooligan because I'm not. I was very, I, I stayed after the game uh, for the sit-in. I joined in with chance of sack the board as, as the thousands who remained did because I want change at the football club. I want it to be a success, but I'm not a louse. I'm not a hooligan. I'm not aggressive. I made my voice heard and I'm not prepared to to back a club that is willing to do that to the fans. I'm just not prepared to do it. And as I say, it's, I'm not comfortable to sit there when, you know, things can be can be not stared is the wrong word. I'm not gonna say they're staring it, but that statement could have incited a lot of trouble, you know, and it 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 did. I felt from the moment the statement was released and I knew that I was gonna stay behind to to make my voice heard about the club, I just felt very uncomfortable. I, I did I did feel like uh sort of not not a criminal, but I felt like I was I was in the wrong, and I guess you could argue that was the whole point of why the club released the statement. They they yeah. grabbed hold of the narrative straight away, and that that's the only thing. I'm not disagreeing with the with the message of the statement, but there should have been a line to say this was a small minority. You know, they will be dealt with in the strongest possible terms. But we thank the other, you know, thirty nine thousand fans that are there for us through thick and thin. And I just thought it was far too broad. And just totally unfair. And again, the the fact that they came out through BBC Radio Merseyside and said that they wouldn't be talking about specific historical events, yeah, mm. incidents. Sorry, historical incidents. Yet they were more than happy to do that at twelve o'clock on on Saturday when there were forty thousand fans there. And it does. It feels like we have been thrown under the bus, and that's where I'm prepared not to go. As I say, as a, as a thing of principle, but at the same time, this is more than the football team now. This is more mm. than than the club losing games. At the at the moment, I couldn't care less about that. The club have put the fan base's name through the mud and they still haven't rectified it. And as long as they do, I won't be going back. Mm. Yeah, well said. I mean, I'm quite prepared to be corrected on this, but I think the match commander, I think that's what they're called, had designated the fixture as high risk on the Thursday. So that's when the statement right. should have come out. And, and it should have yeah, been exactly. a very, you know, yeah. just a, a, alluding to, you know, threats um, and then the fact that there's credible, you know, credible threats to, to people's safety. And I think everyone would have accepted that because everyone understands that, that we're the situation and that 
emotions are running high. Yeah. Well, just just to add, Lyndon, as well, I sit in the lower Gladys Street. That's where my season ticket is. Yeah. Uh, there were G4S security guards. Now, I sit in GT2, which is sort of towards the corner flag uh, by the main stand. Now, mm-hmm. I saw on social media that there were checks on tickets, I think, in GT4. Now, if that's a high-risk match, I want the G4S guy to search me. I want him to check everybody. If that's a high-risk match and they're worried that there could be violence or trouble, the G4S guy looked at me, waved me through, and that, that's where I'm really disappointed at the club because they've they've let us down not only in the narrative, but they've let us down in terms of the high risk of the match. If it's high risk, people, you know, there was going to be a protest we saw last year that when people walked out on 27 minutes against Arsenal, there was massive mm-hmm. disagreements. So they should have done all they, all they can to make sure that everybody in the stadium was safe. It's fair enough saying the board needs to stay away for safety. But what about what about all the people who take their kids in the family enclosure who are on Goodison Road and there's there's flares and the blue smoke and like I say, you just didn't know how people were going to react to that statement. And I just thought it was wholly irresponsible of the football club. Yeah, last couple of games I've had my t- I'm in the Gladys, I've had my ticket checked and I've gone up the stairs. Like right. uh, but that's all they've done. Like they no I mean, yeah. just found it a bit odd. They check they've checked your tickets, yeah. but they haven't searched you or anything like that. They just check your tickets and that's it. Mm. But just mm. but you obviously you have used your ticket just to get into yeah, you know, like you know, a minute or two before that just to get into the stadium. So it's uh, it doesn't make any sense. And every time you go up and down to, to check your tickets again, I just I can't quite quite fathom it. I just think it was more like just ill thought out than anything else. Just like very, very, very dumb. You know what I mean? For want of a better word. And I just think this. Just I, I was saying to I was saying last week I think at the podcast. This is before we knew we knew none of them are going to be there. So like, oh, Mashiri's got to be there and front up to this. And I think this is what it's about for me anyway. It's a lack of accountability. It's kind of cowardice. For them to not be there, to not front up to it. If there were genuine threats to the safety, as you said, then we understand that. But as you, you're dead right. I hadn't really thought much about that, else, to be fair, the timing of it. But you're dead right. It it, it, it could have caused a lot more problems than than it did, than it has that. And um, it's just disconnected even more. So <laughs> you'd like to, you, you wonder if that was even possible to disconnect the fans even more when it's a protest about, <laughs> about the ownership. And they've just, they've doubled it. They've like, like, they doubled the, the, the bad feeling towards them just like that, I think. Um, is it fixable completely? Probably not. Is it repairable to an extent? Yeah, by getting some players in quick and support, you know, and making some bloody quick decisions and acknowledging your mistakes. You know what I mean? But saying it and doing it's another thing. And um, I'm not expecting much. The silence, it just, it's, it's louder and louder with each passing day, isn't it? And um, sad just thinking about it and talking about it, to be honest. It's just really, really sad mess. I love it. And overall at the moment, it's sad for the fans. It's just sad. It's, it's just really sad overall. And uh, yeah, it's hard to see a way out, isn't it, really? It's sad. It's it's sad hearing people like you, El, saying you you, you don't want to go to the game because you don't, you know, not because you don't want to support the team. Because like you say, you were there two hours before you've had to not just support the team, you're supposedly part of this movement that's going to carry the team, which, yeah, like like we argued before, is that really what you want to be doing in January? Probably not. Is what you should be doing? Probably not. Um, but that was, that was utilised so well last year. And we gave Lampard a lot of credit for kind of 
adding to that momentum because he he bought into that message. Obviously, not where we should be leaning on it now. Um, the fact that in, in the last pod we were talking about poor communication going through the channels of Jim White. Um, hopefully that's where we get our apology via Jim White. That'd be nice. Um, <laughs> before he announces, I don't know, Headlock the Musical coming 2023 yeah. by Bill Kenwright. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it yet again comes down to communication, it's like it, whether whether there's silence or there's something said, whether that's a, a press release or through these back channels, it's it's embarrassing. It's as embarrassing. No, it's it's more embarrassing than what's going on on the pitch, and that really is saying something because it, it's been poor for some time. Um, all of this, as we've all said, it, it's it's symptomatic. It's been going on for years. It hasn't been addressed. It's only getting worse. Um, as you say, Paul, the the relationship it's 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 gone, hasn't it? I guess the only small modicum of positivity you could take from it is that people are aware of it now certainly the 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 sitting and the reaction to it following the realization that some of these stories don't quite add up some of the strands aren't quite there some of the way that it's been communicated has been at best clumsy um the fact that ian wright uh, didn't think he'd be our kind of you know uh, savior in all of this but he's he's come out and kind of put together some of the pieces to the to the wider footballing world and hopefully that at least shackles off that kind of image as you said El where you don't want to feel like you're part of some you know hooligan m- movement it's it's not that if 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 that ever has happened then, as you say, it's 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 a small minority. We see idiots in football all the time. We saw it in the Spurs Arsenal game at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that one was captured on camera, so it's a bit easier to deal with. But it's it's obviously a sad case. But then you can also see tens of thousands of supporters, even when they're protesting against the board, doing so peacefully in an organised manner. So I'm glad the narrative narrative has shifted to some extent in in the in the kind of main main oh, I don't want to say mainstream media cut that it sounds awful uh, in in the media <laughs> um with with articles coming out saying saying that yeah this this isn't quite right you know respected journalists in the guardian and the athletic and podcasters people are have, have shifted that story from there's there's a real trouble in the Everton fan base to there's a real trouble in the Everton boardroom. So I guess that's the one slither of positivity that we can take. But yeah, and until we either see some kind of some kind of change, some kind of shift, some kind of conciliatory tone that just if it doesn't build the bridges back, at least kind of makes this second half of the season, it gives us something to go with it it gets people like UL back in the ground it 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 calms us down and channels that passion into a better performance on the pitch that's what we need but we 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 can't keep having this kind of smoke and mirrors routine which as you said earlier Lyndon it's it's got all the hallmarks of prior uh prior behavior in that department and it's it's really embarrassing that that's that's what has been shown from all this because as as Lyndon to as Lyndon uh, alluded to before, the 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 damage has been done. I think, and it is you, you can't get that back now between the board and the fans. I don't think, and 
people said to me on social media that it, it is it's too late for an apology. But I want what I want from the football club is just an acknowledgement to say that that statement, you know, it's regrettable that we we did release it at the time, and that we have many loyal, passionate, and well-behaved fans because I feel like they haven't done that. And something I notice where you do see that the narrative has been considered is that Everton's Twitter account has 2.9 million followers. Their latest statement regarding not commenting on the incidents was released via BBC Radio Merseyside. That account yeah. has 22,000 followers. So that means the message is getting out there. But in terms of like a PR point of view and keeping the Everton image, obviously that you know everybody's talked about it on Twitter, but that social media bubble is tiny. As, as you will see at the... The sit-in after the game, you know, if you go on Twitter, you would expect that forty thousand people would be at the sit-in. There weren't. Yeah, there weren't for you know there wasn't even. Say it was pushing probably over five percent of the ground stay, but that's the thing where it's been considered that Everton haven't even released that on their official Twitter channel. Everton, it, haven't, it's gone to. Sorry, yeah, Everton haven't tweeted no. for three days. Not, not, not a no. word, nothing. And that's what I mean. It's sort of like we'll get the message out. But we'll do it, you know, through the through the side door of of another channel of a of a of a different media source, and then that means that they don't have to put reply, you know, switch replies off on their social accounts. It means that you know, in terms of a PR point of view, from the watching world, for example, it's not as it's not as obvious. Obviously, people with very close connections to Everton and people in the Merseyside area will get that information straight away, and obviously people who discuss it on social media, but even that element of it just doesn't sit right with me because every, it should be communicated by the club. And that's where, again, that's where I feel like I can't go to Goodison yet because it just doesn't feel like it's been managed properly. It, it, it just feels wrong at the moment. I think that uh, the, the one thing that an apology or an acknowledgement would do is that it would sort of try and reinforce this notion that Underneath these figures like Mashiri and Kenwright, who are the kind of the lightning rods for the criticism, underneath that there is a club that is still functioning and a club that is still in touch with the fan base and in touch with what is a still a very community-based club. I think you need a sense that if the Mashiris of the world disappear tomorrow, that there's a club that's still in touch with what Evertonian values are. Um, and that's what you can take forward because at some point Everton's going to have a future beyond the current hierarchy. And it's, it's, it's safeguarding that, um, that I think that, you know, just some kind of acknowledgement or apology would, would go, would be the first step towards restoring that. Well, that, that's the thing, Lynn, as well. They're putting Evertonians in a really difficult position because although it's easy for me to say now that I won't go to a game, I've got a season ticket, I've already paid for that. So if they, if I miss the yeah. Arsenal game, and then I feel that the club have rectified the situation. I can still go. But mm-hmm. we're moving into a new stadium soon. There's a massive waiting list. As, as an avid Evertonian who's had a season ticket for years, why should I possibly miss out on Bramley Moor because of the action? And as you said, Lyndon, there will be a future after this hierarchy. So while I feel completely let down and I, I need that acknowledgement for them to feel comfortable to go back to the ground and to feel like the club have got the fans back, it then becomes, you know, you see the adverts already, you know, on against Southampton, there was the adverts, renew your season ticket. I'm all yeah. that, <laughs> that, that feeling, <laughs> that ill will around the ground. And it's, 
you know, it, it's okay me deciding out of principle not to go to Arsenal. But then come April or March, whenever it is, I then have to make a decision. You know, do I do I feel conf, you know confident enough to renew my season ticket and go? And right now, even now after what's gone on, I'm sure that I will renew it. But it's more out of the fact of like, why why should I suffer? Why should I miss out on watching my team in the future because of mm-hmm. what's going on now? But there will be other people that are wrestling with it that are thinking, I can't give this football club any more of my money when that. When you know it's, it's when they're treating us like this. We can all take losing games, and I'd, I'd, you know, we can all take relegation if that happened. It's a horrible thing to consider, but we'd all have to accept it. Whereas I feel like if the club is treating you with the contempt that some feel like they've, that's when you have to make a decision for yourself. You know, do I want to be treated like this, or you know, do I walk away? So I, I feel for for every blue who are going through this and. You know that the match-going fans who live locally or live in the UK that that do have season tickets, there's there'll be lots. It will be interesting to, at Arsenal. You know, I'm sure that it the ground will look full, but I'm sure there'll be a few spots where people have stayed away because because of what's happened. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, the damage is done, um, but they're in charge and they got to try and they got to try and rectify it and. <laughs> because if they don't do anything, they're just they're, they're essentially just uh, responsible, more even more responsible for, for for taking us down. If nothing is done, if they, if there's if there's no actions, if they just sit there in silence and don't front up to this and don't try and reconnect somehow and try try the best to fix this, however which way that is, then we're definitely going down. You know, what I mean, they've got it's it, it's up to them to sort of try and figure this out, whichever way that is. Board shake up, sack the manager, sign players. Like uh, do some do some fan groups get invite some invite some fan group uh, heads of head of the the fan groups they all together our campaign whatever invite them along to Finch Farm a face to face chat with Bill and whatever whatever they have to do you know what I mean they have to try it might it, it won't it'll be messy it'll be difficult but they have to try because whatever they, they, for every day that they don't do anything it just gets worse and worse um, I don't think there's any other Premier League clubs that haven't tweeted in three days you know what I mean it's 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 just you, you can't just put you can't mm-hmm. just put put walls up and go no we're not going to talk we're not going to do anything it's not acceptable not at all so they, they have to try and yeah for, I'm not I'm not I'm not making I'm not taking them actions as you are Al I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll still be, be going the game and I, I feel for you the way you know the, the, way, the way the way you are and you, you're dead right you you'll be far from the only one make, uh, making them actions and uh Good on you for sticking to your principles more so than probably I uh, than, than than I'm probably willing to do. It's um, yeah, I probably look at it just differently. Of just like there's yeah, not whichever way there is, there's not many more games left at Goodison Park. There might not be many more Premier League games left at Goodison Park. Let alone when we get turned to pieces by Arsenal. But <laughs> I'll be there, and that's um, that's the way <laughs> that's the way it is. But uh, I, I commend you for 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 doing that. Well, do just text me, Paul, at about 11 o'clock on the day of the game just to see that I am on a train or not going yeah. to Liverpool. Yeah, just in case a mate from Wrexham gives you a lift. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's the thing as well, that this is such an important thing, but at the end of the day, it's football. So if I, if I go back on my decision of that principle and do end up going to the Arsenal game, you know, it, it's a thing of principle, but I'm still there supporting my club. So, you know, right now, the way it's gone and the, the silence from the football club, as you say, Paul, I am 110% not going. But I just need to see something from the club. And I go as far as saying, even if that's just a performance against West Ham, 
I just need to see something where I can grab onto it again. Because I'm at the moment, I'm just totally bereft of of feeling anything, and that's where the play is, you know. And and Frank Lampard needs to to drag us back in and get us believing again and get the club going again. You know, that's a lot of responsibility on them for compared to what's happened with the board. But we need something to grab onto. It's what we said last week, isn't it? Some some green shoots, some some promise, something to look to, and there really isn't a lot. I mean, we're playing aside. In West Ham, who are also at the bottom of the form table in terms of those last five games, four losses, one draw. Um, but there's no real zip or confidence going into it. This, these should be the kind of games that we we go into. Yeah, it's an away game, but it's 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 one where you'd expect to have something. Um, and going back to what you said, Paul, as well with 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 the silence and. You want some kind of leadership, don't you? And the if if this is the board we've got, show some leadership, show some face, face up to these kind of problems. But how much time has been wasted over the last week in all these back channel communications and fighting fires of our own causing that could have been spent communicating mm-hmm. better with the fans, bringing in players even? <laughs> Who knows? Then you'd have something to post on Twitter. All, all works nicely together. We We haven't had any of that. It's just been... One mess after another, and and now I, I guess probably the most sensible decision we've seen uh, is is really this silence because I guess they, they they probably won't create another mess out of it. But who knows? Um, it's it is it's it, it's it's yeah, it, it's this. I, I'm lost for words. It's it's awful. It's really sickening. Um, we had moments of this last season, but it was usually in reaction to what we were seeing on the pitch. And obviously, we all know that in the harsh, cold light of day that we can sometimes come away from result and feel like you've been punched in the gut. But you're mellow as the week goes on. You start to look forward to, to the weekend, if that's when you're playing. And there's, there's, there's the next kind of hurdle to try and jump over. Whereas this, it's coming from all angles, isn't it? And it's really, whether, whether you're at the game or not, I don't know. I feel sorry for more out of you, you guys. Whether it's L, L having a dry January or Paul, or Paul having to sit through I'm it. Certainly not having a dry January. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no, absolutely not. Um, it's 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 hard. It's it's hard because it's yeah. It's there's there's not really a lot to to look at, and I guess the best we can hope for is someone new in the club, whether that's a player, whether that's a coach, whether that's someone old but new in David Moyes even. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what we need, but we need something to look forward to because, yeah, at, at the moment, it it kind of, we said it last week, it, it's starting to feel a bit inevitable. Um, there's no momentum. Yeah, well, that's that's the release valve, isn't it? Is is mm. something happening at the, uh, you know at West Ham, or a player coming in? Hopefully both. You know who can, you know th- things will start to immediately improve if we just get some points on the mm. board, and if you get a win, where you know away from home where you're not perhaps expecting to, you know obviously then it opens up all kinds of possibilities. You know suddenly that. Well, that Arsenal game is always going to be daunting, but it doesn't feel quite <laughs> like the uh, 
the massacre it might be. Um, in terms of that game, it's it's almost it's almost hard to, to wrap my head back into into the actual stuff on the pitch right now. Um, <laughs> and and, where, and whether you know what he can change and whether he will change anything, um, because there wasn't there were only a few things I think in that Southampton game that you'd want to take down to to, to West Ham. I mean, it's I don't know. What do you what what do you think he should do in terms of personnel? I think what the pertinent point I think is that Amadou Anana I think had his best game in an Everton shirt. Yeah, he and was excellent. I think that yeah, I think while he's not the same type of player as Idrissa Gane again, he's not necessarily the defensive mid. I just feel that he's a spare part with Idrissa Gane Gay, but because he was so good against Southampton, it was Idrissa Gane Gay that was the spare part. So mm. I feel like the Garner Gate almost, you know, the way uh, people say about the sort of oh, the, the the story of Everton and bringing back old players and stuff. I, d- I don't see what the... At the time in the summer, I thought great time in Risa Garner Gate. But looking at it now, it was a waste of time. We've got a bright young talent and Amadou and Arna. You know, it it's not written in the rules that you've got to play a defensive midfielder um, in front of the back four. And I think the way Tarkovsky and Cody play... They can't play that high line. I think when they try, they, they've been caught out, haven't they, with that ball over the top, as we saw yeah. against Southampton. So I'd rather see Anana and maybe Decore come in. And obviously that's up to Lampard then to be to to in terms of the discipline of who's the tackler, who goes, who marauds around the pitch. But I think it's time for Gay to come out and you need to let Anana thrive because he can be the leader. He can be the talisman. And in an, in a weird way, he could be the Richarlison that we need. Obviously, he mm-hmm. won't score the goals, but he can be that character and that leader that will put, you know, whereas Richarlison would, you know, press a defender, win the ball and maybe score a goal. And I mean, Anana put in some brilliant tackles against Southampton and it's that. It's it's going back to Lampard, knowing what Evertonians want and getting Anana to bring that into the game. So for me, the the West Ham game, I think you need to, as you said, Paul, I think Lampard does have his favourites, I completely agree, but I think he needs to change it up that little bit and start giving, you know, a bit more responsibility to, to certain players. And I think Anana's the man for that, really. It's not it's not rocket science, is it? I mean, like, um, you can play them three, fine. Just address a gay sit. That's all you got to do. Like, I don't think it's Adrissa's fault. I think he's got instructions, to be fair. Address a sit. Win the ball. Give it to an Arnold or give it to a Wobi. You're two of your runners. You guys run up or down. A Wobi, uh, uh, go on the gay sit. And then, you, and then just, if you want to go with the four at the bat, I'd, I'd be wanting to take Cody out at this, at this point, really. Not that Tarkovsky was any better the other day. If you can get... It's always a risk playing me in there, but I just think you're going to get, you know, you're getting more out of them at this point. We're just, we're just shipping far too many goals and too easily. And you're right, we're too deep. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're, maybe we're better giving it a bit more of a go rather than just sitting in this three. I, I don't know. I don't know. Does Ben Goffey stay in? He's probably doing okay, I suppose, if you're going to stick with the three. But it just doesn't seem. It, it, it frustrates me that midfield because it's. For me, them three should all be be perfect foil for each other, as far as I can tell. And all it means is address the game, just do what he, what we you know he, he does best is that sit, mop up, win the ball back, get around, make the tackles, and then just play it simple. That why he's been asked to do this job, I've just got no idea. It's madness, and it's proved in several games, and he's been poor of himself in a lot of games, I admit. But I think if he's asked to just simplify his job, he probably got he probably do it a lot lot better. So. Or take him out, as you say, and put the Corey in or Davis in, just have that same job. Just win the ball and pass it to pass it to one of those two. 
<laughs> it doesn't seem that complicated to me. It just frustrates the hell out of me. That's um, that's the, that's the if you're looking for a subtle change, that's the one. That's the one I'd be making. Well, if you remember in his first in his in his first um, spell with us, he had some of the the best tackling met- metrics of any player in the division. And now I I, mean, I haven't seen the stats, but I would guess that Onana's better. It, it's Onana. Onana's got the most tackles for us. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I mean, he was he was dominant, and he's 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 probably more mobile. Um, I think I think the, the the key word from Matt is simplify. It, it's it's doing the simple things. You you said it earlier, Lynn, with regards to the um, Southampton goal. It's it's not rocket science that goal. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. We've arguably got the better versions of Southampton's players involved in that move. You know, Dominic Calvert Lewin's a better striker than Shea Adams, and you could argue that. On his day, the likes of the Wobie probably offers more of a threat from midfield than James Ward Prowse, unless it's a free kick. Um, but we, we've got these good players, but they're not really working together. And we spoke about that in the summer about that midfield. It did seem like the perfect foil. It did seem like three pieces that work really well together. You'd have one who sits and does the, the dirty work. You've got this one dominant raw but promising player who can offer you a, a bit going forward and a bit going back in sort of tighter games. I mean, you've got a Wobi who we know has got all the legs and can play progressively, which we're just not seeing enough of because they're, they're all kind of trying to do the same thing at once and it gets kind of clumsy and confusing. And then when you add the defence into that as well, um, it's it's misshapen. And I think maybe it's overcomplicating it, but then it's not leading to any kind of interesting football it all becomes actually sadly quite predictable and it and it shows that again we said it earlier the only real threat came when we and and I'm I'm doing it paying it a massive compliment by calling it a threat was by going direct and we we've got that option now that Calvert-Lewin's back in the side as opposed to Mope but if he's on his own up front and there's no one really around him then what does that leave you with it leaves you with a very predictable game plan that any side could figure out and so yeah, sort of changes. I, I, it's not necessarily the personnel because you could argue really that even a half fit Awobi, that's that was our strongest side at the weekend, and it's still not really working, is it? So that's where the system, that's where the manager should really be coming to the fore and either simplifying the message or offering some insight, getting these players to play the way he wants them to play. At the moment, I, I don't see that plan, and that's, that's that's why we are where we are, isn't it? Yeah, I honestly reckon <laughs> Duncan Ferguson could just get these lot just playing in a simple format. I think, you know, yeah. I'm not saying oh go, go get Duncan now. You know what I mean? But I just don't think it has to be difficult the way we play. I think the players are better yeah. than what it, it, if when and I really think it is when when we sack Frank Lampard. Somebody will come in and they'll probably get a bit of a tune out of them just by doing simple stuff. And it's not, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And managers always do this, don't they? It's like, it just frustrates the hell out of you. And we've seen it with so many now. And you just think, you just, you just do that simple thing and everything will be okay. But uh, yeah, there is, there is hope. Um, like it wants to get rid of the manager. I think it's quite simple as that. And that sounds bad, but that's, uh, that's kind of the way I see it. But that's supported with a few new players. There is a way out of this for the maybe there's no, there's no way out of this long term for the board. There's, there's there's a way to salvage the season for the board, and that's by doing that. You know, I mean, change the manager and, and and backing them with a couple of players while there's still a bit of time to do it. But the the silence, as, as I keep saying, is is deafening. 
frustratingly, Lampard's already done that, hasn't he? He already tried to play his way, didn't work. He simplified it, it kind of worked and it got us over the line. And then we've started this season yeah. and it's kind of gone back to the same same kind of style that didn't really work. So <laughs> it's like he's not really learned his own lesson. That's that's also doubly frustrating. Well, just as a short update as well, while we've been on the podcast, I've just gone Babbitt on to and tweeted. Twitter. No, well, Everton Newsfeed, the Toffee Blues account. Obviously, I've not had a chance to look at the article, but they've cited The Athletic, have said that Everton sources have said the alleged headlock incident, in inverted commas it says, was not reported to the police according to Barrett Baxendale's wishes, as she did not want to escalate it to a criminal matter. Um, so that's just the latest there. That Obviously, more information has, has come out in the last hour. Um, but it just, feel, it just feels like the... It's just being drip fed, and it's just making it worse for for everybody. You know, it, it mm-hmm. you know it, it mustn't be nice for for Denise Barrett Baxendale. You know, mm-hmm. to to be in this situation that you know if 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 she didn't want to escalate as a criminal matter. You know, if I was in that position, and then all of a sudden the the story's being linked the way it has and uh, leaked. Sorry, you know, it's it's just not good for anybody. This. Mm-hmm. They just need to be clear and yeah. explain it all, and just acknowledge it that it's been her, uh, you know, a horrendous display of communication. The club's not good enough. Just hold your hands up, and as we saw with Ian Wright today, if if you if you apologize, hold your hands up. Evertonians will respect you and they'll back you. You know, yeah. I'm I'm not saying that yeah. we'll all say, "Oh, the board's great, and let's get the season back on track." I, I do think that the, the damage has been done with the board and that's you can't get that back. But if the club were just honest and just put all the information out there, and the key point for me is, as I've said, is at the right time, not three hours before kickoff. But if that's you communicate the with the fan base, the fan base will acknowledge it and go, do you know what? Fair enough. Let's crack on. Yeah. It was the timing was the whole issue around it because it, absolutely fair enough. If you don't want to escalate something and, and good on her, it's, you know, commendable. Um, and, and, you know, from her perspective, no one wants to feel unsafe coming to their place of work. You know, I completely understand that. The, I think the whole issue around all of it, and I think we've acknowledged that, you know, that all of these threats were perfectly, uh, perfectly credible from, from a, from an outside standpoint where you can appreciate that these things probably happen. It was all around the timing of it when the information was released two hours before kickoff, knowing that there was a protest against this very board that was going to happen after the match. And I think that's the the salient point, isn't it? Yeah, I do. I just, I just personally, I just feel very let down that I went to the match to support the team. I was at a coach welcome. Yes, I was going to protest, but my protest involved standing next to my mate in the Gladys Street, uh, respecting <laughs> everybody around me. And occasionally yeah. chanting, sack the board as people have banners. And I just feel very let down that that narrative was spun at the time because to me, that feels very purposeful and, and almost, you know, like a clinical attempt to to portray people in a bad light. And I just, you know, it, nonchalantly, it's like, I just don't appreciate that. I don't appreciate that I've been a supporter of this club for, for 26 years. I've never, you know, caused any trouble, anything like that. I've never, you know, been, you know, I've never directed any like personal abuse at people. I've always been respectful, mm. and it was just poor that the timing obviously had to be different. But that statement just needed a line to just acknowledge that this is an individual or individuals, and not the Everton fan base. I, ju- I just, I just felt it was really unfair. Yeah, 
really unfair. Yeah, agreed. Well, let's see what else comes out. Hopefully, well, as you say, hopefully there will be some kind of acknowledgement. Uh, maybe this, maybe this, what's just come out in the Athletic is the sort of tacit acknowledgement. I mean, I doubt we'll get anything explicit from <laughs> from the Everton Twitter account on it. But uh, let's see what happens in the coming days. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed that these there seems to be some the the rumor mill seems to be gathering a bit of pace on on incoming signings. Uh, it looks like an offer has at least been put in for uh, Dan Juma. So maybe they'll be moving on that ahead of the West Ham game. Let's hope so, because Lord knows we need something. Um, Blues, if you're going down to, to London, um, best of luck. Travel safe. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the West Ham game, whatever goes on there. So until then, uh, take care, Blues. Up the toffees. Talk Sport Breakfast with Laura Woods and Ali McCoist. What a wonderful noise! Okay, um, so the fallout is massive, um, and Everton fans are not happy. Their board members, Everton's board members, they were advised not to attend the game because protests were taking place inside and outside Goodison Park as well. And we saw a lot of these scenes um, post-match. We saw fans um, stopping some of the players in the streets. We saw Yerry Mina um, standing surrounded by fans, um, and they were basically venting their frustration at the players. Uh, let's get a little bit more on the situation post-match, especially with the fans. Um, Anthony Gordon chased down the street. Um, Ellis Sims, I saw a, um, a video of him in his car as well. Um, it wasn't nice, but let's discuss it with somebody in the know. Uh, joining us now is chief writer and podcaster at Everton fan site, Toffee Webb, Lyndon Lloyd. Good morning to you, Lyndon. Good morning, Lyndon. How are you this morning? Good morning. Um, oh Everton aside, I'm doing well. Thank yeah. you for having me on. I wish we could speak to you about <laughs> other things, Linton. Um, yeah. Just, just tell us if you can sum up what you saw um, and sum up what what the, the majority of the fans feel about this. I, I mean, it, it all feels really bleak right now. Um, you know, I, I think I always felt in my gut last season that we'd get out of it, but this season just feels terminal. Uh, simply because the club just feels broken. Uh, completely broken, and I fear that that negative momentum is going to suck us down, um, you know, th- through the trapdoor into the championship unless something changes very quickly. Uh, mind you, I was saying that two weeks ago after the home defeat to Brighton, you know, and nothing's really changed. Um, yeah, the, the, unfortunately, the, the 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 great thing about last season was the unity that the club felt. Um, the the I think we feel that the fans played as big a role as any as anything or anyone in keeping us up last season. Um, and now the narrative seems to be turning against the fans. And it's not helped by incidents that you described with, you know, players being accosted in the streets outside Goodison. Um, I mean, I think it's um, it's important to draw a distinction between those isolated incidents, which are more, I think, illustrative of, you know, why the societal problems have anything to do with Everson? I mean, we've had, we've had players assaulted on the pitch at Manchester City, Nottingham Forest last season. You know, someone kicked out at Aaron Ramsdale after the North London derby yesterday. And I think and there's this immediacy that comes with players and celebrities being ex- so accessible on social media these days that that might be seeping into real life to the point where these, you know, these entities are not in, are so untouchable anymore. Um, so I think, you know, the NS Now group, which is the, the, the group that's the, organized the protest yesterday. They've made it explicitly clear that they don't condone anything other than peaceful protest and assembly. And that's exactly, you know, what, what, what played out within the stadium. It was all, it all went off exactly as planned and the message got out. 
Um, but you know, how does that stereophonic song go? It only takes one match to burn a thousand trees. You know, all that patient work that's been done by NS Now and the All Together Now movement can be undone by the actions of, you know, just one or two people who really aren't anything to do with them. And unfortunately, once you're on the wrong side of the media narrative, it's very difficult to get back. Well, then tell me, looking at it, and I think you're right what you said there, because it's just, it looks different to me this year regarding Everton. We were speaking about Everton West Ham game coming up. I don't know why, and I might be wrong, I just look at West Ham and I think they, they've got a better feeling about them, right? I look at Southampton, I look at Nottingham Forest, these teams that were down there, you know, they're picking up points and they look as though they've got a bit about them. What's yeah. different? What's different this year? Well, I think part of it is the fact that we've had to gradually over the years just get rid of our best players. You know, unfortunately, um, Farhad Mashiri's um, reign, which is almost seven years now, um, you know, he's unquestionably put his money where his mouth is. There's no denying that. Um, and if he, if, he, if he'd done nothing else but build the stadium, uh, his place in Everton history would be secure. You know, he's well on the way to delivering that. Um, but uh, unfortunately, on the football side, he's painted himself into a bit of a corner now because so much money has been spent, so much of it has been wasted in those first, first four years in particular that he was at the club on huge transfer fees, big salaries, and often players who weren't good enough or had a little resale value once they'd been at the club for a year or two. Um, and now, now we've got to a point now where we can't, we can't spend, you know, a net spend in 2021 was 1 million. I don't think it was more than 15 million last summer. We had to sell Richarlison, uh, last June to meet the Premier League's profitability sustainability requirements. Um, and, and so that's probably why we're scratching around the loan market this month. Um, and in, in many ways, it, I, I feel like we have a squad that should, shouldn't be 19th in the Premier League, but at the same time, there's just a, um, it's just not working. You know, it's just not working with, we just don't have enough goals in the side in particular, uh, which is why I think most, most Evertonians are mystified that we didn't have players ready to go on the 1st of January. We're halfway through January in what could potentially be the most important transfer window in our history. And there's, there's no sign that anyone's on the horizon. Yeah. Um, next game as well, West Ham at West Ham. Um, that is on Saturday, 21st of January. Massive game for both teams involved. Lyndon, thank you, mate. Thanks for Thanks coming Thanks for joining on. us, mate. Thanks All the best. Thank you. Take care. Lyndon Lloyd there, chief writer and podcaster at Everton fan site Toffee Web. If you want more of that, you can pop along. Just put Toffee Web into your search engine. You'll find everything that they do. Uh, we appreciate Lyndon's time this morning, Everton fans. If you want to come on and have your say as well, 81089 at TS Breakfast. Those are the ways that you can get in touch this morning. 7.30. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 